and welcome to This Week I Learned, your audio guide to the most surprising discoveries and fascinating studies of the week. I'm your host, Lauren Hansen. This week I learned that a solid metal can remember its former liquid state. Of course, you're probably familiar with the different phases of matter, liquid, gas, and solid. These are the forms that molecules in matter arrange themselves in depending on external conditions, like liquid water, for example. In very low temperatures, it freezes and contracts into ice, but at very high temperatures, that same liquid relaxes and boils into steam, becoming a gas. But scientists have found that the element bismuth acts a little outside the box. Bismuth is a chemical element. On the periodic table, it has the symbol Bi. It's most often found in its solid metal form. But when bismuth is put under extreme external conditions and changes from a solid to a liquid and back again to a solid, well, it does funky things. You see, bismuth has some unique properties. When it's a solid, it's usually repelled by a magnetic field, but when it's a liquid, it can become attracted to a magnetic field. So for this study, researchers from the Carnegie Institution for Science brought bismuth to a liquid state at incredibly high temperatures. When they slowly cooled that bismuth back down to its solid state, they found that the solid remembered some of those unique structures of its liquid past life. It wasn't that bismuth was physically morphing or something, it was that it retained some of the properties it had as a liquid, specifically that magnetism. When bismuth cooled back to a solid, it was suddenly attracted to a magnetic field rather than being repelled by one. Scientists say this is the first time such an effect has been discovered in an elemental metal. But structural memory in metals isn't all that rare. There are certain types of smart alloys that can remember its original shape. This incredibly flexible, lightweight metal can be bent all out of shape at cooler temperatures. And then when it's heated, it can be brought back to life, like boing right back to the shape. It's actually incredibly cool to watch and it might send you down a rabbit hole, but if you have the time, Google shape memory alloy paperclip and be prepared to have your mind blown. This week I learned that living in a city changes the way you view the future. There's this idea in the science world called the life history theory. And the short of it is, it's how the environment affects the way animals reproduce. There's basically two versions. One is called the fast life history strategy. And that is where species in low density areas that are at greater risk of predators tend to have as many offspring as possible in the hopes that some will survive. The other is called the slow life history strategy, and that is where species with longer lifespans who tend to live in greater population densities have fewer offspring and invest more in those offspring. Researchers at the University of Michigan wanted to see how this played out in humans. They conducted extensive data research on people in high and low density countries as well as high and low density states. And they found that residents of both denser countries and states married later, had fewer kids, had lower teenage birth rates, and had higher rates of preschool enrollment and retirement investment. 
The preschool and retirement details were interesting because they indicate parental investment and a future-oriented mindset. But scientists tested the theory further with experiments. Volunteers either read a newspaper article about increasing human population density or an article about increasing squirrel populations. In another instance, volunteers either listened to a soundtrack of a large human crowd or a soundtrack of white noise. In both instances that focused on human density, the volunteers favored future financial rewards over more immediate gains. In fact, across all experiments, people exhibited signs of this slower life history strategies. Researchers suggest this might be because in dense cities, people have to compete more for resources. And so investing in education and spending more time raising fewer kids can lead to being a more competitive member of society. This week I learned that your dog is an excellent liar. You see, a dog's basic instinct is often torn, shall we say, between being loyal to his beloved owner and eating tasty, tasty treats. God forbid a dog has to choose between the two. I hate to tell you, more often than not, he's going to choose the treats. Previous studies had found that dogs would trick fellow dogs for their own gain, like feigning interest in something so they could snag the good seat on the couch. But this new study published in the journal Animal Cognition wanted to see if dogs also knew how to lie to humans, something that would go against their loyalty instinct. In this study, groups of dogs played with two different types of strangers. One person consistently gave the dogs food, the other person hoarded all the snacks in plain view. After the dogs learned which partner was cooperative and which was competitively hoarding, the pets were given the opportunity to lead each partner to one of three boxes. One box contained a juicy sausage, one box contained a less appetizing dry dog biscuit, and the other contained nothing at all. Then the dogs would lead their own owners to one of those three boxes, and the owner would always allow them to eat whatever was inside. This gave the dogs an incentive to deceive the hoarding human by taking them to the empty box before leading their owner to the tasty treat. And that's exactly what they did. Scientists said the dogs were quickly able to differentiate between the two human types and clearly weighed their options before moving. Scientists say the dogs were quickly able to differentiate between the two human types and clearly weighed their options before leading people to the boxes. In the end, the dogs led the uncooperative humans to the empty boxes way too often for it to have been a coincidence. This week I learned why itching is so contagious. You know that thing when you see someone itch and then you feel the compulsion to itch yourself? That's called socially contagious itching. And new research is shedding some light on what may be triggering this strange phenomenon in our brains. Socially contagious itching has been chronicled in humans as well as rhesus monkeys. But a new study out of Temple University was able to confirm that mice also fell victim to socially contagious itching. And this allowed scientists to peek into their little brains to see what was going on. What they found was that the area that regulates circadian rhythms, or sleeping cycles, appeared to be generating a chemical that prompted the itching. To confirm, they blocked the production of this chemical in the brains of the mice. 
Without the chemical, those mice didn't show any signs of this itching. But when scientists turned to other mice and injected them with that same chemical, those mice showed very, very robust scratching. And this led researchers to believe that the contagious itch behavior is actually coded into their brains. It's an innate and hardwired instinctual behavior. You see, anything that's hardwired into your brain has to be important. Flight behavior is another good example of socially contagious behavior. When an animal in a herd sees a threat and starts running, often the other herd members will just book it without seeing the threat themselves. This gives them a better chance of escaping in time. Scientists suggest the same is true for itching. If one animal has been bitten and starts scratching, other animals may automatically itch as well, and that may save them from the same fate. But researchers caution that we can't easily transition these animalistic instincts to our human behavior. Our behaviors are often more nuanced than our animal friends. Socially contagious itching may not always represent useful behavior. It could be something that evolved long ago to serve a purpose that no longer exists. But this new study does get researchers closer to understanding the annoying behavior. And that does it for this episode of This Week I Learned. Look out for new episodes every Friday on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to read more about any of the facts I've mentioned or check out more series from the week, including 7-Minute Opinions and 7-Minute Explainers, go to theweek.com slash podcasts. And if you like what you hear, subscribe or tell a friend or kindly give us a rating or a review on iTunes. I'm Lauren Hansen, and thank you so much for listening. Music.